Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Tiasha Zaitz. Today's episode is a recording of a panel discussion I moderated at the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit in Australia in August. If you don't know Talking Health Tech yet, it's a digital health podcast and community focused on health tech in the Australian market. So if you're interested in learning more about digital health in Australia, you should definitely head to one of their quarterly summits. They're virtual, so you can access them from across the world. And while conferences are getting back to the in-person setting, I must say that the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit was a reminder of how engaging and fun online events can be. It had all sorts of digital networking and exhibition capabilities that we were able to enjoy from the comfort of our home. I added the link to the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit in the show notes. You can check what the content was. You can find the best episodes of Talking Health Tech and also subscribe to their newsletter to know when is their next event going to take place. Now to today's panel discussion, it was focused on medication management in the hospital setting. It will give you an overview of the current problems with medications, decision support systems that are suboptimal on the hospital level. And we also talked about what does it take to implement healthcare IT in a hospital setting. So if you're an innovator looking at creating solutions for hospitals, I suggest you take a pen and paper because you can easily create a really nice checklist of expectations of processes you will need to take into account when looking at a successful implementation. Enjoy the show and do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about the next episode automatically. And speaking of subscriptions, I recently started a newsletter. It's only published on a monthly basis, so your mail inbox will definitely not be full of spam emails. You can subscribe to the newsletter to be up to date with the topics we covered, even if you don't have time to listen to all of them. Again, it's just once per month, so do check out the link in the show notes and see what has been published so far. Now let's jump in with the introduction by Peter Bursch, the host of Talking Health Tech podcast. Digital medication management and e-prescribing are increasing in adoption. The benefits are clear, patient safety, medication adherence, and regulatory compliance. But what challenges still need to be overcome to see widespread adoption of digital prescribing and pharmaceuticals? This is session 11 of the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit about technology and medication management. Featuring Giddy Stein, co-founder and CEO of Medaware, an AI-based medication safety monitoring platform. Bojdaka Radovic, product lead at Better Meds, who are transforming healthcare with a digital health platform, electronic prescribing, medication administration solution, and low-code tools 
that help healthcare organisations to rapidly build applications that suit their specific needs. Melissa Fodera, Chief Pharmacy Informatics Officer, Western Health, which looks after the provision of healthcare for the western suburbs of Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to our panelists. Just to set the stage a little bit, when we talk about hospital medication management, we refer to all the processes referring to medication prescribing, medication administrations, the review of medications the patients are taking. So everything that nurses, doctors and pharmacists do. And before we begin, I would like to say that according to WHO, the cost associated with medication errors has been estimated at 42 billion American dollars annually. So this is a huge problem. If we just look at the numbers of admissions to the hospital that happen because of medication-related errors or problems, Australia actually has surprisingly low numbers. So the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare estimates that between only 2 to 3 percent of all all Australian hospital admissions are medication-related. As a reference point, the numbers for the U.S. are between 5 to 10 percent. And in the UK, the National Overprescribing Review, which was published last year, the, this review cites that adverse drug reactions account for 10 to 20 percent of all hospital inpatient admissions. So this is a huge problem. And to maybe highlight it a little bit more, I would like to give the word to Melissa first. So Melissa, you're the Chief Pharmacy Informatics yeah. Officer for Western Health, which serves a population of 900,000 people. You cover acute tertiary services. It's a huge system with, I think, five hospitals and several clinics. So I wonder, uh, can you give us an overview of how our medications manage in such a broad ecosystem and what mm -hmm. technology is used? Yeah, vendor of choice is Acerna for the electronic medical record or the ARP. So we do a lot of work with Cerner itself. There is dispensing system we use, which is Merlin. We have prescriptions as well, electronic prescriptions. We also are looking at uh, diverse projects at the moment. Western Health is doing a massive, I'm proudly part of what they call phase 2.1. So we're already electronic, already electronic with medication management. So that's an electronic drug chart, electronic prescriptions, we do all of our dispensing electronic, which is integrated. Now we're going to specialist care. So that's modules for ICU, PD, anesthesia and surgery, women's and children's patient portal. There's a whole host of things that we're doing currently. So it's had a huge growth and it's had a huge support from the executive to encourage and acknowledge that a digital platform is really important for public hospitals moving forward and have made a huge investment in digital health. Usually the first space or the first point of digitizing the medication management journey is the introduction of electronic prescribing and medication management systems. Given that you mentioned that you already implemented this, what are your current top priorities and challenges? As we will hear in the further down the line, this discussion, there's several decision support systems and a lot of innovation happening in just trying yeah. to encourage and optimize that process as much as possible. Yeah, so I guess 
whilst we have medication management, the areas that we're implementing still will be on paper. So the challenge at the moment is aligning current state to future state. Oncology are based on paper and they'll be be moving forward to digital. So some of the challenges is how do you, first of all, hybrid's a huge problem because you've got the healthcare professional potentially working partially on a digital platform and then partially on paper. So getting access to paper and you might need to work on a couple of solutions to look up the patient history. You may have medication management on a digital platform, but then you prescription of chemotherapy still done on paper. So there's that hybrid model that will be eradicated or will partially be removed with the implementation in another 12 months of the rest of the gaps that we're doing. But some of the problems that we're facing at the moment is whilst we are live with medication management, where do we find the issues come from? And besides hybrid, it could be alert fatigue with the number of alerts that the patient, that the healthcare professional face when they manage a patient. We also have electronic prescriptions. However, we don't have paperless electronic prescriptions like the community. So we don't have e-prescribing. So that's a big gap in our workflow as well. And there's still hospitals still work in isolation. So we're not data sharing across hospitals due to legislation at the moment. And at the moment also, we can't really see community-based healthcare except the reliance on my health record, which also has gaps in it for medication management. And it may not contain a full profile of medications that the patient is on in the community. So there's just that sort of, we've still got a few blinkers on in hospitals to have that complete care of a, a patient's medication management. I'm really glad that we have a diverse panel here. So Melissa, you're coming from the clinical setting and then yeah. uh, Bojidarka and Gide are both on the vendor and IT side. And I want to just maybe highlight a little bit the vendor perspective as well. Bojidarka, Melissa already mentioned some of the challenges that are related to medication management from gaps between systems, the mix of paper and electronic systems from the product development side. Where do you see the biggest challenges in developing a hospital IT system that successfully helps in medication management? I would agree with Melissa. I think she she emphasized really important topics. I would split this in three categories, at least from our perspective. So better is present in Slovenia, UK, and New Zealand. And there are three main areas where we see challenges. The first one, managing expectations. So understanding what is expected from EPMA that is only one part of the whole processes uh, you have in hospitals. So it's not covering the wider specter of processes that users would like to be digitalized. Then the second one is the implementation and the implementation team and the implementation uh, plan. So you need to have a good team that understand the processes so they are able to do gaps and, as Melissa mentioned, as is state and future state. I think that's really important. And the, three, the third key aspect from, our, from my perspective is customization and localization. So understanding that even though let's say 80% of the processes are pretty similar everywhere. This 20% is very important. So understanding where are the differences in the processes, understanding what are the things that should be localized, and understanding how the system should be customized or improved to meet those requirements users have and specific markets have as well. Gidi, 
just digitizing the whole medication management time. So from the time that the doctor prescribes something to the point where the medication is administered is the big, the starting point of the journey in the hospital. But where you're based in Israel and you the, designed a clinical decision support system that tries to mitigate what Melissa mentioned earlier, so the alert fatigue. So can you uh, take us through how do you actually do that and how do you differentiate from the clinical decision support systems that are out there? Sure. First of all, the, let's talk a little bit about the problem. And Melissa talked about the, the process of the digitalization of the, of the medication delivery uh, process. But after you reach that, and you have a fully digitalized uh, process, still a lot of problems. And it's a different type of problems, but these problems can be very dangerous. Because, for example, the whole concept of sound-alike, look-alike, when you're talking about manual prescribing, is completely different when you're talking about electronic prescribing. It sound-alike or look-alike could be only the first three letters in the pull-down menu. And just a few months ago, there was a verdict of a nurse in the United States that killed the patient accidentally because she typed in the first three letters of a medication in a drug dispensing cabinet and gave the wrong drug by mistake. So wrong drug, wrong patient type of problems that almost did not ex exist before e-prescribing suddenly are killing patients. And then there is the sheer number of prescriptions, the number of medications that are, or the types of medication that is booming every year, and the stress that is imposed on the clinician, especially within, uh, under COVID. When I was a young physician, maybe I received five, seven patients at night, and each of them had maybe three, four medications. Today, my residents accept maybe 15, 20 patients at night, each of them having 10, 15 medications. The number, the sheer number problem makes it almost impossible for a clinician or a pharmacist or a nurse or a physician to actually really dive deep and understand the patient's situation, the different medications that they're taking and the different risks that are imposed on these medications. And not only that, but after they already prescribed the medication, there's no way to actively monitor for evolving adverse drug events. I don't know, renal failure, hyperkalemia, all kinds of electrolyte disbalances that happen way after the patient is already taking the medication, but put him at risk and the medication that were okay only yesterday suddenly become dangerous today. And this is one of the main reasons that patients are admitted recurrently 10%, of the admissions because of adverse drug events. These are the preventable events that currently there's no technology that can actually make this happen or identify them. And if you look at the current systems, as you asked, usually they flag about 10, 20, even 30% of the medical orders or prescriptions are flagged by these systems. Now I think about my resident at two o'clock in the morning, just having admitted 10 patients, if every three or four medical orders is getting a useless alert that is immediately dismissed, then he will ignore everything. So basically we implement a system, pay a lot of money for it, but basically patients and, uh, are exposed to harm and clinicians are frustrated and want to throw the computer out the window. So basically it's of no use. So the way that we approach it is really try to use the hospitals or health systems data to personalize the alerts so they will be very specific and relevant and timely 
for the specific patient. So let me give you an example. So if aspirin and clopidogrel, two blood diluters that there is a fixed interaction between them that they increase the risk of bleeding. But 90% of the cases, they are prescribed together per protocol because patient had a myocardial infarction or a stent or, or a cerebrovascular accident. So in fact, 99% of the alerts are junk. But there are a few cases, uh, patients who are bleeding from these two meds together who needs that alert, so you can't dismiss it. So how do you personalize it? So if you dive into the history of that individual patient, and that has to be done in real time, you are able to identify what is the clinical reason, what is the scenario in which these two medications are being prescribed, and then assess, is this alert relevant for this patient now or not? So if this patient just had a coronary angiography two weeks ago, then definitely he needs these two medications together. But if not, maybe it's a good idea to, to alert on them. But that's not enough. Post-prescribing, post-dispensing, continuously monitoring the patient profile for new lab results, vital signs, uh, any change in the patient status that may render one of the active medications suddenly dangerous for that patient. So these monitoring, continuously monitoring processes is something that is critical to the patient's safety and something that, that we provide. Because we have learned that uh, errors don't just happen, they won't fall on our lap and then we'll know about them. We need to actively look for them all the time because they will happen. It's the rule of the big numbers. It will always happen. We just need to be there and identify it and mitigate it before harm is done. Melissa, I would really be interested in hearing your feedback here. So you mentioned earlier how you are highly digitalized, but at the same time, there are still gaps. The question that I had for you was how do you approach the introduction of innovative solutions to the hospital system? So what kind of errors do you still see that happen with medications? And what's your top focus in mitigating clinical risk? Is it still, I don't know, the education? and warning about the most common errors or are you already at the stage when you can afford to look at new technologies and new innovations that you might want to implement? Yeah, I'll take it back to probably my experience. So I've been doing this type of work in hospitals for about 12 years and prior to that I was 10 years working privately so balance the understanding of both businesses so introducing anything new to a hospital can also introduce errors, as Giddy has said. So part of my job is based on the years of experience and then predicting potentially where errors can come along if we introduce new software. So some is based on experience and seeing things that I thought I'd never see or learning about processes and patient journey workflow and also understanding other disciplines workflow. So I'm a pharmacist, represent pharmacy. We have a CXIO at our hospital at Western Health, which represents medical, nursing, allied health and pharmacy. So it's quite a broad range of clinicians. And with that, we, I think whenever we introduce, we may do some custom build and a custom build. We had an incidence Potentially, it could be with the anticoagulant, dual anticoagulant prescribing. So we look at our risk mans. So we're constantly monitoring our incident management system 
and in public hospitals it's called RISMAN. So if it's either a sentinel event or a near miss or a medication error, we're always monitoring that side of things. If there's a signal detection where we know we have a problem, we will then go and most of the time the hospital I work with has has a department that manages digital platforms. There's about 30 people that work with diverse backgrounds. So we'll customise an alert. So one of the most recent one was dual anticoagulant prescribing. There was on average probably six cases of dual prescribing that may or may not have led to bleeding but the longer you're on it the higher the risk is of dual bleeding so we wanted to look at what is like live data so there is dashboards that show around the hospital dual prescribing of anticoagulants live in the system and that's monitored as well and then we developed a customized alert where if there were dual anticoagulants prescribed that it would fire for the clinician to go up ah, you're about to add this drug you sure you need it it can increase the risk of bleeding please monitor patient now in areas like your cardiology ward that would overfire all the time and then there's some drugs that needs to be excluded because it doesn't have a greater risk of bleeding so it's appropriate you can have dual prescribing or it's just stat doses of heparin that's not going to increase risk of bleeding so it's about implementing. First of all, it's about understanding what the what the need is of the hospital. So if there's a risk of prescribing, it may lead to an increase of bleeding. What is the incidence of risk to the patient? And then we look at how we can customise with the information that we've got, how we can customise these alerts. And then the next bit, we did a three, six-month monitor post-implementation to see what the incidence and how it was reduced. I think we went from six down to about one or two when those one or two were not causing harm. So we can really see that custom alert has been very effective. So it's not just about implementing, it's about implementing and monitoring and also predicting that what you're introducing potentially may or may not increase risk and where are the risks and where do they lie. When it comes to looking at new software or new applications, there's usually a strategic plan at a hospital. So the CXIOs, which is the group of medical pharmacy, nursing, allied health, CXIO group will help executives understand what the needs are of the business. And then it's usually in Victoria self-funded or funding from the Department of Health. There's a digital health stream there that can help fund these projects. But if you look at a five-year plan for most hospitals, then they all, almost all hospitals are digital in Victoria or have some level of digitization to a certain extent with medication management. We've still got some hospitals that are catching up, but there is a level of medication management at most hospitals. We do look at also how we can, so I think recently I'm looking at electronic drug registers. If we do look at the vendors and what's available in Australia, we look at their integratable, are they integratable with the current EMR? How do they integrate? Where have they implemented? Where else in Australia have they implemented before? Because that's a really important thing. If they're new to country, how do they fit in with our current business? Do they know what our current business are? business is and then we work with the vendor and then if there's no funding we will have to submit a business case to executive for funding and then get it that way into the hospital so at the moment I think human factors is really important with the, with the design and usability and I, my principle is keep it simple stupid if I don't understand what the screen is saying likelihood is someone else is not going to understand what this data is telling me that approach is Use your knees to, it's not just my opinion, it's the opinion of the team and have a group, a user group or a working group that's going to help you design an optimal system. 
make sure it's integrated with the other platforms we have at the hospital. And if we can avoid hybrid as much as possible, then we're getting there to, to improving healthcare. And it's, and it is about tools for the healthcare professionals. So if we, it's a tool of trade and it's also medication management, which leads to better outcomes for patients and it's transparent. So we should be reducing medication errors with a good system and not introducing them. But when we do, we need to monitor and look at what the cause is. You mentioned a lot of customizations that need to be made when introducing any technology. I think it's often frustrating mm -hmm. for innovators, especially those that are hardly entering the healthcare space, to realize that you can't build a one-size-fits-all mm -hmm. product for all the hospitals, especially if you're working across borders. So at this point, I would really be curious to hear from uh, Bojidarka and Gidi. You both are also working in the clinical space when introducing the solutions. So how do you make sure that the new features and everything that you develop are really what the end users might need? What kind of challenges with usability are you have you faced so far? Maybe Bojidarka, if you want to start. Yeah, sure. So I think a couple of things are here. First, you need to understand that You are not just replacing a paper. So if you are replacing the paper, you're introducing a completely new system that is not the primary job of the users. So the primary job of the users is to help patients and their healthcare professional, uh, professionals working in that domain. And you are just a tool that helps them do their job. So it's not like the focus of what they are doing is on your system. And knowing that we can go a step further, understanding that we are not the only system they're using. So sometimes it can happen that during <clears throat> just checking a patient, then users can use up to five different systems, if not even more, just to gather all the information they need. So having all that in mind, we need to build a system or we are trying to build a system that is simply to use and that have all important information at the point of the action that is being taken. So if we are talking about prescribing, then at the point of prescribing, we make sure that users who are prescribing medications have all relevant information. Now, how to make that similar or how to make one product for different markets, you can't. So there is always something that will be different. There is always something that should be just a little bit changed. So what you, what as a vendor, what you would like to do is to meet this very well known 80-20% rule. So you cover it 80% so that it covers most of the scenarios that are used and then focused on 20%, understand what are the needs, understand if it's the need of all users on, or only specific group of users. As Melissa said before, there are specific areas where certain domains are different. So you need to make sure that those users can also use your application and then understand the number of scenarios which are complex, more complex than other. So Also, with the alert, alerting system, you need to understand if those things you are doing will be used every day, all the time, or only in some specific scenarios. So um, really deep research and understanding the needs of the users and asking them what would 
they like to achieve and what would they like to solve. It is, it's really important for a designers of system to know how to approach this. Additionally, it's very important that, as I said at the beginning, we are just one of the tools they are using. And having that in mind, we still would like to make them aware they are the final decision maker in the process. So that's why we have decision support. So to support their process, not to do things instead of them. And I'm seeing a lot of misunderstandings or errors happening, human errors happening because they expect systems to do what they should do. They rely on system too much. And now Finding this balance between supporting the system, supporting the process, but not making a decision instead of healthcare professional, it's something that it's a challenge, I would say. Gidi, this is where you come in because what Medaware offers is an AI-based solution that in essence takes into account all the patient information and the patient background to offer the clinician recommendation. Now, we have to know that you're mostly present in the US market, which invests heavily in healthcare. Based on the latest data, I think that the US now spends already over 20, around 23% of its GDP on healthcare, which is huge. So Australia, just as a comparison, you spend 10% on healthcare in Europe between 8 to 10, let's say. In that sense, you're at a disadvantage because the US healthcare system is different and hospitals have more uh, space to invest in innovative solutions and AI, which is what you offer. But I really wonder uh, what your comment would be on what Bojidarka said, which is how can we offer clinical decision support systems to clinicians and then at the same time say, this is for your help, but you still have to use your brain. So in essence, if an error happens, the vendor would say, Yo, this is just clinical decision support. But the doctor would say, do I have this tool if, it, if in the end it's still my fault if I make an error? Yeah. So first, I want just to comment on what you said. You're completely right. 20% of the U.S. GDP goes to healthcare, but the life expectancy is declining in the U.S. So I wouldn't take that as a as a quality measure because there's no, no necessarily correlation between the money put into the system and the, what is the patient receiving at the end of the line. So I would take the Australian healthcare system with two hands if I had to choose between them. So just comment on that. But you're completely right, and I agree with Kada that the workflows is key. You need to understand, deeply understand the workflow of the customer, but not as a whole customer, each individual, what is the nurse doing and what is the physician doing and what is the attending at night doing and what is the pharmacist doing the, and in the inpatient and the outpatient. And then once you really understand the workflow and then really understand where the intervention is useful, that's the technology part of, of the deployment. And specifically, we usually try to be behind the scenes. We don't have our own UI, only in some very specific cases. In most cases, we use the electronic medical records or the technology vendors user interface to show our alerts according to the workflow. So the customer sees a unified user interface. It doesn't pop between screens, which is critical. Uh, but that's only the first part. The, the second part is how do we make sure, uh, as you said, that clinicians actually respond, that the alerts are useful, that will, they will actually respond to what they do. And to this end, we do several things. First, because we are a data-driven tool, we are very, relatively easily can take the historical data of the last year of data of the hospital 
and do a very fast simulation on what will be the alert, what will be the quality of the alerts, what will be the type of the alerts in different departments, different sectors in that specific hospital. And then if we see we have too much alerts and probably our models are not very accurate for this specific hospital, we need to refine them, to define them. But once we reach a certain statistical threshold, let's say less than 2% alert burden, i.e. less than two alerts in 100 prescriptions on 100 medical orders, which is like our standard, like 10 times or 20 times less than the current solutions, then we say, okay, let's see the clinical significance of them. And then we sit with leaders from the hospital, pharmacy, prescribers, etc., and review samples of the alerts that we generate and say, guys, does this make sense? Does this really represent a real problem? Would you have acted upon this? And only once we get their buy-in on 10, 20, 30 types of, of alerts, we start running in silent mode, i.e. the system is live, we are analyzing everything, but the clinicians don't see everything, don't see anything. But the clinical champions on a daily basis can see what the system has found. And once they are satisfied with the results, then we turn, pull up the plug and turn it uh, immediately for action. And just to give you a sense of numbers, we have recently implemented in a small 200-bed hospital in New Jersey, and we implemented a, small, a very small component at the clinical pharmacy, the inpatient pharmacy. And we alerted on after the clinician already approved it, the pharmacist approved it, and the and the nurse already dispensed the medication. And we came after the fact just to see what we can find. And within an hour after the medication was actually approved, and we alerted on 0.7% of all medical orders, maybe three, five alerts every day. But 64% of the alerts that we generated causes, caused the pharmacist to pick up the phone to the doctor and say, we have a problem, stop this mate, change the, the, change the dose, or take another lab test or do something. 64%. If you have 64% response rate, clinicians will listen to you and pay attention. If you have 5% approval or less, or even 10 or 20%, immediately the clinicians will ignore it, especially in the middle of the night, and disregard everything that you have to send to them. That's why we have to be very precise and continuously monitor our performance to make sure that we don't send junk or false alarms because it's very difficult to get the trust of the client, but it's very easy to lose it. After three false alarms in a minute, you lost them. And that's something we are very anxious not to lose. We just have five minutes left before the next session about digital therapeutics. So I would like to just give a minute to each one of you to maybe highlight one thing that maybe you are thinking about next when it comes to improving medication management and medication safety. Melissa, I know that you're probably at most fronts. Usually when we talk about clinical decision support and medication management, we focus on prescribers. And if a prescriber makes a mistake, there's often very little support for the nurses that actually administer the medication. Then there's digital therapeutics that are coming in. There's new therapies, complex therapies that uh, Gidi mentioned also earlier. The whole medication management uh, landscape is not getting any less uh, complex every day. So how are you thinking at what kind of improvements could be made in as the next step? 
Yeah. Look, I think the alerts, it's a two, it's a double edged sword. I've seen medication errors where the alert didn't fire when it should have and an incident occurred for something that was rarely prescribed. And when something's very rarely prescribed, then that's when you're not so familiar with how it is prescribed and that's when you really need that decision support to help you. I've also seen clinicians and being a pharmacist, dispensing systems have had decision support in it since 2000. I think when I was dispensing, you do the enter because it becomes a nuisance that it becomes not valid anymore. So when training or going out on the floor, you see the enter, enter, enter if you don't have alerts that are not useful for the clinician, which is what I think Giddy was referring to. You need to make it really specific. But the flip side to that is if you only capture such a small group of alerts, there's also the times where you need it where it may not fire. And so then whatever the clinician is, if it's that was administering, if it's a doctor that was prescribing, if it was a pharmacist that was dispensing and supplying, then they want answers. So they will come to our department and go, why did this happen? Like, how did this happen? Why didn't the system support me? Or it happened so quickly, I ignored it. There's too many alerts into the system. So it is a balance. I don't know if we've solved the problem just yet, but I think the newer solutions that are coming out where we do reduce the amount that it fires and we're basing it on the the evidence of prescribing practices that we're getting closer to utopia where we should be, I think to... I think in order to have less errors, we need closed loop administration, administration, closed loop prescribing. So that's where we scan the patient, we scan the product, the doctor's prescribing electronically. It is all a closed loop process until we have barcode scanning of products and electronic prescribing as closed loop, remove the paper. That's going to give us a less amount of medication errors, I think. Um, What is the problem at the moment with achieving that? Probably for Victorian hospitals, it's funding because it's expensive to implement. It's also expensive to maintain. Thank you. Two more minutes. So, uh, Bojidarka and Gidi, very quickly, what are the next steps that you're thinking about and what's the first thing that you think of when thinking about how to improve medication management? Two things for me would be data and modularity. So data to be able to understand what was happening behind the prescribing process, what, when, and why it happened. And then modularity, meaning making a piece of puzzles so that you can understand how you can improve your process now and understand that everything is things can be similar in different countries, but still are different enough. Uh, Melissa mentioned closed-loop prescribing. We have that in some countries where our products are implemented and it's working really great, but again, new problems are arising. So having the data that will be analyzed to understand the problems and then doing small steps, uh, solving problems step-by-step to improve the processes. Giddy. So I'll make it short. I, I think the next frontier is finding technology to empower patients and caregivers to be more involved in their medication management and be more proactively involved in the safety of their own treatment. 
Thank you, Gidi. You actually stole my thunder. I was wondering if anybody's going to mention patients. Patients, last year I did a documentary about the whole complexity of medication management. And while the relationship between clinicians and patients is getting more, more of a partnership or relationship, I think as patients, we are still on the vulnerable side. So we too often just rely that we're going to be taken care of and we don't need to take active involvement. So from me as a patient advocate, if I would have one message to everyone, it would be try to be mindful of what's given to you. Are you getting the right, the right dose, the right medications? And with that, um, thank you all the panelists. Thank you, Pete, for having us. And we successfully enabled you to speak one minute uh, less when connecting <laughs> the next session. So uh, helping, helping out across the board. No, look, what, a, what, a, what an awesome panel on a really important topic that no doubt we'll continue the conversation within the community. Thank you, panel, for your participation. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast because it really, really helps other listeners interested in digital health find the show as well. Stay tuned.